just record this. Welcome to Rich in Relationship. And today, let's get rid of this notification. Today, we're going to talk about the myth of the perfect partner. And this is controversial because I want to be honest with you. I want to believe that I am married to my soulmate. I want to believe that. And yet the evidence is so overwhelming in some ways that this is my soulmate. And yet this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Why is that? What the hell am I talking about? What are we talking about when we talk about a perfect partner or a soulmate? What are we talking about? What does that bring up in you? Like what it brings up in me is this idea that I am with the person who is perfect for me. And because they're perfect for me, everything is going to be wonderful. It's like a happily ever after is what it is. It's really, maybe this should be retitled the myth of happily ever after, right? Because here's what happens. Boy meets girl, boy meets boy, girl meets girl, whatever it is. They fall in love. They think, oh my God, this is the one. This is the person you made for me that is my perfect fit. This is the one. And it's so right in that moment. You, you feel so right. And basically, when you make that decision that you're going to get married or be in a committed relationship of some way, shape, or form, you have embraced the idea that this is the one, your soulmate, your perfect partner. And what happens next? What happens next is, and you all know how this goes, life gets super real. And it gets real because we have children and we need to figure out how to get money to take care of them, put them into school and camp and clothes and food and a bigger home and a better car and all that stuff that happens, right? And being perfect partners that you are, you each figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to make it work. And slowly but surely, you drift apart until one day you look over and you go, who the hell is that person in my bed, right? And uh, if you haven't had that moment, I promise you, you're going to. But most of us have had it. Most of us have at some time or another looked over to that person who was our soulmate, who was our perfect partner and said, who the heck are you? And what are you doing here? And that is when we either start working on the relationship or we just kind of we just kind of go well this is just must be how it is this must just be how it is but we're always wondering did i pick the wrong person because that is not the person that i fell in love with that is not the person who when i was in your presence i felt like all my potential i felt potential i didn't know i had when i was in your presence and today I feel less than when I'm in your presence. You know, those experiences really bring up our stuff. It challenges our concept of reality. And when we're under stress, like many of us have been, let's face it, the pandemic is not over. We're kind of in phase two of the pandemic right now, which is, do I wear a mask? Do I wear a mask? Am I going to get sick? Am I not going to get sick? I've been vaccinated. Most people have been vaccinated. What's happening here? And yet 
the infection rates are as high as they were at another time. And there are people who are vaccinated who are getting sick. Oh my God, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my children? How is this safe? When we're under stressful circumstances, that can press on this even more. People have kind of two reactions to stress. They either pull closer together or they come apart. Now, even in the coming closer together, there may still be that questioning of, are you really my soulmate? But at that point, you're in it together, right? You're still wondering, where is my, where is my happily ever after? But you're in the middle of a crisis of some kind, an ongoing crisis even. And so there's not a lot of room to think about that. Or people can grow apart. Uh, and I've seen a lot of that in the pandemic. I've had a lot of people calling me saying, I do not know who that guy is. That is not the man that I married. I, we've got to either come apart or come together and we need your help doing that. Because where this leads, when you start to question if that person is your soulmate or if that person is your perfect partner, because they don't feel perfect, they're far from perfect, let's get real, is not only do you ask, what are you doing there? But you're starting to have conflict. In fact, there are three, there are three kinds of reactions to stress. One is high conflict where you're kicking each other's butts. You're fighting all the time. Here in Rich and Relationship, we call it the endless fight syndrome. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of endless summer syndrome. Endless summer syndrome is where everything's wonderful forever and ever. It's actually, you know, when we find our perfect partner, our perfect mate, that's what we're supposed to have is endless summer syndrome, right? Or happily ever after. Well, instead we're having miserable forever after because we're just fighting over everything. And not only are we fighting, but those fights are rarely, if ever, resolved. They usually end in, in me being right and me being right and both people looking wrong in each other's eyes. So those endless fights are two people positioned. They're positioned in I'm right and you're wrong. And when those two people are having that fight, even if the other person bends a little and says, all right, I see your point of view. The other person says, about time. Yeah, like I can't believe it took you that long because the commitment to I'm right and you're wrong is so high that when even one person gives just a little bit, the other person generally slams them. Like that's what the endless fight is about. It's building, 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 building. That's the conflict reaction. Or the other reaction that people can have is to be conflict avoidant. And so those people are going to focus, they're going to seriously be focused on their personal individual interests. They're going to be really engaged with their work or with whatever groups they're involved with or raising the children or keeping the household a certain way. They're going to be really involved in those things and avoiding anything that smells like conflict. They might watch television together. They might eat together. The conversation is going to be minimal because they're avoiding conflict, avoiding it, avoiding it, avoiding it, avoiding it, avoiding it. And those people actually might go all the way to well, why are they avoiding it? They're avoiding it for the sake of the children. So it's about, you know what? I know conflict isn't good. The excuse is, I know conflict isn't good for the children. So I'm, we're just not going to fight. But the problem with that is that doesn't go anywhere. 
when people have differences and they don't talk about the differences and there's no resolution, they're not growing together. They're in parallel lives. When people are fighting all the time and there's no resolution, they're leading parallel lives. They're both leading parallel lives. Just one is loud and one is quiet. Now, for the conflict avoidant people, very often the outcome is that when the kids go to college, the marriage is over. That's, we have a big rise in gray divorce right now because so many families have been conflict avoidant. They thought they had a good working marriage. What they had was a good working parenting agreement. They could have had a much happier relationship with someone else and had a good working parenting relationship. And actually when the kids go off to college, that's what they do. And the studies are showing, just so you know, if you think that's a good thing, that it hurts the children more for their parents to come apart when they go off to college. The children, now young adults, are at a point where their sense of self is becoming more concrete. And all of a sudden, the foundation of that sense of self, that they had parents who loved each other and were committed to each other, is pulled out from under them. And it's actually immensely disturbing for them at that age. Whereas when they're younger, they're more resilient. They're still figuring out who they are in the world and what their relationship is with their parents and how their relationship with their parents fits in with who they are. Once they're young adults, that's sort of set in stone, so to speak, and harder for them to reshape. And so conflict avoidance sounds good. Well, you know, we stayed together for the kids, but actually it's very damaging for the children in a way that getting divorced at a younger age or resolving the conflict at a younger age might, uh, or resolving the inability to honor difference and create something new out of it might've been, right? And that's really the heart of it. But really the heart of it is, can we have different opinions and talk about them and create something new by the melding of those differences? There was a time when Congress, for example, was this great place where people had really dis disparate perspectives on what was good and right. And they would work together and create change in society from those two perspectives. And they might feel it was never perfect, but the change was often positive and the society moved forward. And today we have a Congress two sides that are uh, politically have a hard time compromising and moving forward together. Now that we also see that in a lot of relationships. That's what happens either when people are in high conflict or when they're avoiding our conflict avoidant. And then we've got couples that are sort of a mix where one person might be engaging in conflict and the other one's conflict avoidant. And those tend to be very abusive relationships um, where the, aggressive partner dominates for the most part and the passive partner gets their way in subtle ways. Their whole mission is to try and keep the aggressive partner from being explosive because they really don't want conflict. And so they give up a lot of who they are trying to manage that person. Uh, and it's very often these are couples who, uh, that when they have a child, the passive partner suddenly realizes the impact of this relationship on their child and that leads to divorce because you, it's not really sustainable, that kind of relationship. All right, so those are, your, those are the three kinds of reactions to 
the conflict to change, it's either high conflict, no conflict, or managing the other person's aggressive tendencies. And what does that mean for a family experience? I think in all three cases, you know, you're talking about either a low level or high level misery, right? If you're not resolving differences, you're, you've got misery on some level or some scale. Well, it's really, it's, it's out there misery, right? Because if people are fighting all the time, the misery is obvious. If people are quiet all the time, the misery is present, but it's quiet, it's subdued. It's so, there, people are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, in the high conflict, um, there's always a lot of arguing going on. It's almost normal and expected. And the children learn to you know, deal with it in their own ways, either through high conflict or through being conflict avoidant. Uh, they're, you know, they're always looking to uh, either win using conflict or win avoiding conflict. And it's a, like a tightrope the kids are walking. In the conflict avoidant situation, the kids are wondering what is wrong like it seems like everything's good no one's fighting and yet where is the love there's no love present and in all of these situations there's no love present what and what we want right this let's go back to the perfect partner the soulmate this was supposed to be the person that loved us for who we are this was supposed to be happily ever after this was supposed to be the person that was our perfect fit and in all of these scenarios are we experiencing that no way so why is that to some extent the perfect partner the soulmate myth propagates these three behaviors i'm going to say that again to some extent the myth of the soulmate or of the perfect partner propagates high conflict no conflict and managing conflict situations abusive situations they're all three of them really abusive abuser situations in different ways. How does it do that? Because we marry the perfect partner and we think it's going to be happily ever after. When you're with the perfect partner, everything just falls into place. When you're with the perfect partner, when you're with your soulmate, you're going to make it through thick and thin because you just get each other. But that's not real. What's real? What is a real perfect partner? A real perfect partner is someone who has strengths that you don't. A real perfect partner is someone who challenges you. A real perfect partner is, yeah, someone who sees your strengths and your weaknesses and who's committed to helping you move through them, but they get that it's moving through them. Are you feeling me now? A perfect partner, a soulmate, is someone who's building resilience with you. A soulmate, a perfect partner, is really someone who's invested in you and gets that you have a long way to go and so do they. It's not happily ever after like they killed the, the wicked witch and they just had babies and lived in the palace forever. It's not that. It's they killed the wicked witch and then they dealt with the evil step sisters and stepbrothers and then the dragon came in and they dealt with that and then the people rose up and we're starving and they dealt with that. A perfect partner is in there with you for the long haul. They're in there with you for the pandemic. They're in there with you for when your kid gets bullied or becomes a bully. They're in there with you when you lose your job or there you lose your job. And not only they're in there with you, but it's a little grindy. It's not like they go, oh, they're there, honey. It's gonna be wonderful. Sometimes they're like, 
What? You lost your job? How the hell are we going to survive that? Right? Their first reaction is often human. Perfect partners are human beings. Perfect partners have defects of character. And what makes them perfect, what makes that person a perfect partner is they help you to become stronger and overcome your defects. And you help them to become stronger and overcome their defects. Wouldn't it be great if you had that relationship today? And to some extent, you already do and you just don't know it. The thing is, we have a tendency when we've been with our perfect partner who no longer looks so perfect, when we've been with that soulmate with whom there's not much mating going on, when we've been with them for a while, we start to question, how did we get here? Instead of looking at, how are we going to move from here to there? And that's what I want to encourage you to do is the truth is you may actually be with your soulmate. It's just not going to be that. It's not a happily ever after thing. It's a soulmate in the sense that you pick someone who had strengths that you didn't and they pick someone who had strengths that they don't and you're building each other's strengths up. You're, uh, there's a, a saying that as iron sharpens iron, one friend sharpens another. Well, how does iron sharpen iron? It doesn't do it like this. It does it by rubbing, rubbing. When you sharpen a knife, that's basically the concept of iron sharpens iron. You're sharpening that blade on another piece of metal. And that's what partners do. That's a perfect partner. The perfect partner is the person that you can sharpen the blade of yourself on, that you can become a better person with, who will help you do that. And what happens when you sharpen a blade on a piece, another, like on a, on a whetstone, the whetstone's a little rough and it takes away the nicks from that. It takes away some of the metal and, and takes out the nicks and the dings and the blade is sharpened by actually warming up the metal and moving it and even removing some. And that is what we, that's what our perfect partner, our soulmate, that's what they do for us and what we do for them. And it isn't you know, high conflict. It isn't two blades hitting each other. It's smooth, it's gentle, it's caring. And so what I'm encouraging you to do is to start building those smooth, gentle, caring conversations. You may be having conflict or avoiding conflict or trying to manage someone else's conflictual side. The way through that is to have caring conversation. <clears throat> the way through that is to stop the fight. End the fight is what we like to say here. The way through that is to start building trust again. The way you did when you were first dating. You know, when you first met, did you say, hey, there's my soulmate? No, when you first met, you thought, oh, he's kind of hot. She's kind of hot. Maybe this could work. And then somewhere into it, you said, wow, this is clicking. Maybe this is the one. You worked at it together. There was a discovery process. 
And I'm encouraging you to have that discovery process again. You know, we're in phase two of the pandemic here and it hasn't been smooth for anybody. Not even people who have great relationships. And I've worked with some of those too. But for the relationships that have been working, what's made it work is the opportunity to talk intimately and with care and with trust so that each person really gets what the other person is feeling. So I'm encouraging you to draw some hope from this, all right? The myth of the perfect partner and the soulmate is that you met and it was perfect and it's just gonna be perfect. And there's no relationship that works that way. Zero, none, zilch. The reality of the perfect partner is what makes it perfect is you work at it together. So that in the end, when you're on your deathbed, you go, oh my God, that was so amazing. As you progress in your lives together and you make it through the hard times together and you get to the part where your relationship, where your knives are sharpened, you're gonna get to a place where you say it was worth it. That pandemic, it brought us closer together. That pandemic, it taught us how to have relationships with our children. That pandemic, it taught us how to work on ourselves individually and how to work on our relationship together or whatever it is that's going on. You'll see it as being, having been valuable. And so I'm encouraging you to let go of the myth of the perfect partner and to actually live the perfect partner. And if you're not sure how to do that, or if there's something that I said to you that's confusing, reach out to me. You can direct message me or you can reach out to me at rich at richinrelationship.com, R-I-C-H-I-N-R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P.com. And I'm happy to have an, a, a conversation with you to clarify anything that's confusing. You can also schedule a discovery call with me if you and your partner wanna talk about this more. It's a complimentary call. Go to bit.ly forward slash end the fight, all one word, E-N-D-T-H-E-F-I-G-H-T. That's bit.ly forward slash end the fight. And that'll take you to my calendar and we can hang out for 20, 30 minutes and chit chat and figure out what's next for you. And it's not a sales call. It's really a discovery call to discover what's next for you. And I do this because... I grew up in one of those super high conflict families and I don't wanna see any kids go through that. And I've lived the other two scenarios and I help a lot of people in those scenarios. And I don't, I wanna make sure that your children or everyone's children has a rock solid family foundation to support them, that those children are front and center for both parents, not in the middle as a weapon, not off to the side as collateral damage that's being not thought about because we're so busy doing whatever else we're doing. But those children are always in the middle, well, front and center, not in the middle. All right, so that's it. Uh, give me a call or don't. And thank you.